This episode is brought to you by Bullet Wealth. It's a new YouTube channel. It's got a lot of interesting facts about like financial advice. It's hosted by Scott Merrick. He's the owner of Maya Wealth, a wealth management company. And so he has the experience and the know-how. It's very entertaining. You can get a nice little financial segmented education if you go to Bullet Wealth on YouTube. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. It is the underwear with the dual pouch system. One pouch for one part of the male anatomy, another for the other part of the male anatomy. Not only is the underwear the most comfortable underwear you'll ever wear, but it also has the most stylish designs and patterns. The fabrics actually have a cooling effect when you put them on for the very first time. Your body will thank you because it's one of the hottest parts of your body. So cooling it down with these special fabrics that Sheath provides is a nice experience. The proof is in the pudding. We have a 100% money back guarantee on the very first pair. If you don't like it, we'll send you your money back. Go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RPG and save 20%. We appreciate your support. Back to the show. Welcome to the RPG Podcast. And we are live. Oh, God, Pat! Presented by Sheath. A Time Wheel Production. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Robert Patton Global Podcast. I'm here with the uh, Bellator Flyweight Champion, Liz Carmouche. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's very exciting. I love watching you fight in, uh, in the sheath uh, bralette top. That's <laughs> really cool. I really appreciate you doing that. And you've been winning since you've been wearing it. So it's good luck. I agree. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I was watching that fight again last night and it was, it was pretty close, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, and I guess there was some debate from her about like the stoppage or whatever, but I was really happy with the stoppage and I, saw, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it on like C, CBS sports or, or some highlights and just that finishing while you're on top of her and the sheath logo is on your shorts and <laughs> it was like really well placed. Um, it was a good finish. It was a very good finish. What, have, what are you, what are you up to these days as the champ? What are you doing? Uh, pretty much the same. I mean, life really hasn't changed. Um, I mean, I was hoping there would be uh, some changes on some front somewhere. It's still me knocking at the door, begging to fight, waiting to hear something back. Um, it's still hunting down, trying to find some other sponsors to jump on board that are veteran owned, operated, um, still working this business with my wife or doing, um, service dogs. So she's breeding um, service dogs, Labrador retrievers, um, and this for injured veterans as well as for autistic children. So right now it's just a matter of scouring the entire nation, trying to get the healthiest dogs possible, behaviorally the best dogs. Uh, and that's a little bit taxing because it requires us to like jump on a plane when we get word about one and just shoot off to wherever we can find it, take wow. it home. 
And then we have to wait until they're 16 weeks old before we can test them to make sure that they're, they have all their health passes. And so you get emotionally invested in this dog and you're like, Oh no, it didn't pass anything. You're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's wild. We do foster dogs here. So we, I, and we've fostered over a hundred dogs in you know, over. A, yeah. Yeah. And we had, we had 11 at one time. Cause one of the, uh, dogs had puppies 10 puppies and we had to raise all 10 puppies till they were i guess eight weeks old or something to where they could be um fostered out and it was a nightmare it was fun and it was cute a lot of cute puppies but there was a lot of shit yeah tell me about it we had our, our first litter and we ended up having eight puppies oh, and it's wow. definitely a lot to, to clean up with especially just because um we just have a higher standard and we want to see behaviorally who's going to be the best suited to be a service dog so you yeah. have to raise your standards even more so it's like nobody can ever have an accident and we clean up everything <laughs> <laughs> wow <clears throat> yeah that's way higher standard than we have ours is like if they don't bite you know if they don't uh <laughs> pretty much that's it like it attack <laughs> other people or dogs because um they're, they're good enough we had one that we couldn't foster out it was he was too difficult his name was wally and we ended up having to keep him for like two years and he just died like a couple of weeks ago and but it was it was really sad because he was he was he was horrible to everyone else but he was awesome <laughs> to us and so um it's, I think it's really cool that you're doing what you're doing, especially for, you know, veterans and <clears throat> dogs can be really so healing and helpful. Absolutely. What, what, how did you get into that? Uh, so my wife's a professional dog trainer. She's been in the industry for over 20 years. And so she's worked with a few different companies that were training service dogs. And she has found that there were just a lot of discrepancies that just weren't quite adding up to help the veteran to succeed as best as possible. You get like a service dog, but they don't do any genetic testing. And behaviorally, the standards are so low that you get into incidents where the dog bites somebody at some point, which is a dog, you know, like I, people get upset and they get in fights. Like dogs should kind of have like a grace period, depending on where the bite location is. Um, but so what she was finding too is that you get a dog where they didn't do any of the health testing. And so if the dog they never tested has hip dysplasia, if it has a heart disease, kidney disease, here's this veteran that's invested in a dog that's going to be with them for 10 plus years. And then it turns out they're going to have to go to the doctor constantly for their dog. That yeah. is too much for a veteran. They're usually trying to work through reintegrating back into society and understanding how to change their jargon their lifestyle, everything. And to add that onto it, it's usually just too much stress. And we see a lot of digression with the veteran. And so we want to be able to write a dog where we did so much testing for it and so much success with exposing it to all the different things in the environment, like motorcycles, horses, cows, you name it, that wow. it, it can't possibly fail is, is the, the ideal. And we just want to make it so that veterans didn't have to doubt and question anything that they knew that the dogs that they were getting could go until the dog's last day and that veteran be set up for success. Wow, that's really thoughtful. I, I mean, so your wife has been in the industry, but what made you start doing this and, you know, like... Um 
So when, when COVID was going on, um, so we had our son and I'd given her an opportunity. I was like, Hey, you know, like, I feel like I'm financially in a position where I'm working enough jobs and I was just doing it for me. So why not? If, if you want to quit your job, you're unhappy. There's a lot of things you don't agree with uh, the way that you're being treated, the other employees, the dogs, et cetera. Why don't you just focus on raising our son? Let's build a good foundation for him and set him up. Um, and then as we're going through that, she's like, it's just not enough. And he's starting school. So when, what's the next step? Um, like, well, what do you want to do? If you didn't have to question, if there was nothing about finances, every situation was perfect. What would be the dream? And she'd said, she's like, I love working with veterans. The work that I did with the service dogs, the investment that I put into them and then seeing them go on and make changes in their lives were better for their whole family. Cause she's not just touching the veterans life. It's also the whole family's life that changes because of that. And she just said, she's like, if I could do that, I would love to be able to provide veterans with the best, healthiest dogs that they don't have to worry about and then have a dog that's rock solid in behavior as well. I'm like, okay, let's do that. Let's do it. I'll make it happen. Uh, Let's let's figure out how we can do this. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go do some seminars. We have some more money to go get these dogs and (laughs) and do all this thing. Uh, so I support her. I just get to love on the dogs. Like I'm not the dog trainer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I pay attention enough and I need to be able to handle dogs and understand the differences and what they demand. And it's really cool because different service members require different things. They have different needs. And mm-hmm. so you may get a dog that has to do scent detection because it's going to, the person wants them to clear a house and feel like they're comfortable. We had a veteran that had seizures and the dog would alert him and then stay on him to, to make sure he was safe wow. and go alert his caregiver to let him know he's going to have a seizure. And so you get to be a part of that and see that. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. Like one, wow. I'm just invested in this little puppy that I get to help bring into the world and get to like baby it and hold it around. And I have like my little connection with them, but then you get to see them as they grow into themselves and see the connection they make with their veteran. It's just, it's amazing. So I was like, I'm oh, in, this is, this is so cool. I want to be part of this as long as we can. Yeah. Cause then you benefit in a way from it as well. Just uh, psychologically it's and you're yeah. helping other people, which always makes you feel good. You know? Exactly. So have you, have you guys been able to place quite a few of them or? So because this is, like I said, we're still scouring to trying to get as many dogs in the program, um, we've been able to place two dogs. Um, Right now we have one that he was born, I mean, he's 14 weeks old, 15 weeks old. Um, So now we're in the grooming him phase and trying to make him into the best possible service dog. And we have a few few service members that she's interviewed that um, we'll see who's a good fit for him. And then his training will start to go towards what that veteran needs specifically. So when he's one or two years old, the veteran can take them and move on with what they need. There's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, because then you got to train it for the uh, specific veterans, you know, issues, so to speak. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on. I mean, between all the testing, the genetic testing and all the behavioral, I mean, it's if we have them for one to two years, it's not like a it's just a pet dog. Like, no, they get trained every day, multiple times a day. We have to take them to all these different environments. So that way, if the veteran goes somewhere that we've never been before, the dog isn't thrown off and, and scared, which anyone would be. Um, and so that way it's benefiting the veteran as much as possible. So it's constantly like, okay, we're going to drive to the beach and have scooters, people on scooters intentionally 
going by this dog. So it can be one and be exposed to that. We're going to go to the airport where they can hear all the helicopters and airplanes going overhead. It's, it's constant things where she goes every day and drives a dog in different environments. So that way it's as, it's as ready as possible down the road. That's hardcore. That sounds kind of like my wife. She's super, (laughs) like she handles all the stuff with the dogs. I mean, and I help out as, as I can or want to and she's she's really good about just taking care of it if i am too busy or whatever but i'm usually pretty helpful i mean as far as cleaning cleaning up after them or what i'm not gonna like walk past a pile of shit and just leave it there i'll (laughs) pick it up and um mop it up and whatever but okay well that's so you're doing good things in the world with your you know newfound level of achievement and stuff you're not just uh, partying and <laughs> yeah i'm not the i'm not the party unfortunately for two reasons i mean one a few years ago at one of the ufc retreats everybody it, whether they were alcoholics they had a few drinks one drink everybody blacked out nobody remembers the end of the event yikes every single person there right and since then i have not been able to touch alcohol pathetically so like to the point where I'm like, no, I'm good. It's just, and it's been years. There's no reason for it. But also, I mean, I love what I do. So I love training and I'm always so excited to get back to the drawing board and to work on new things, whether it's growing and trying to adapt and evolve, or it's seeing the mistakes that I made and trying to work on making sure that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a constant let's life, right? Just uh, evaluating. I mean, you should be constantly evaluating where your weaknesses and where you can improve. And that's, that's what I love about fighters and fighting and martial arts is just like the discipline, the focus you're all in, especially cage fighters. Mm-hmm. You can't ha- half-ass this job <laughs> because it, I mean, you have, could, but it'd be the cost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of motivation to really keep improving. And there's like, there's no, like, like money isn't even as big a motivator as if I don't do this, I'm going to get my ass kicked. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's not usually even like the fear of getting my ass kicked. It's not wanting to embarrass myself. Like you can go out there and if you don't look like you're the skilled fighter that's put in all these hours and years of work, that to me is just as embarrassing as a loss. So I want to go out there and be as as technical and look Mm -hmm. like I'm never gassed. And and just there's all these things that go into what I want to look like when I go into the cage. It is funny or interesting. I'll go to these lower level fighting organizations. I'm mean, Fury. They're really good. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Colorado Combat Club here, and then LFA and like different organizations. But you can see the levels of uh, perfect. I mean, um, just how good you are. At, in, like they'll throw like sloppy punches and their kicks. They just, they're like off balance a little bit. Mm-hmm. Something's not quite right, and. Um, yeah, when you're fighting, you can tell it's like you've been doing this. You're like an expert. <laughs> and I, I was, there's this new girl. We, she, ju- she just made her debut in the UFC, Yasmin mm-hmm. Uruguay. Yasmin yeah. Uruguay. And um, I had seen her. We did a photo shoot, and she, w- she was like, when she would hit the bag, it was like, whoa, that's like a dude hitting the bag. Like, this is yeah. not. Uh, she's not fucking around. And then she got in there and she banged and she, she pulled out a victory, which was really cool. And, and my point, I guess, is that she looked really proficient and, you know, she in, in her very debut. Proficient. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was really impressed. We watched that one. <clears throat> and I mean, usually when you see the people their de debut, you can tell it's something new. Now, whether whatever it is that got them to that point, usually the limelights kind of depreciate all the work that they put in there. And if that's her depreciated, I have no idea what's going on down the road because that was it was super intense, really technical. That was a really impressive fight. That was so cool. I was really excited because we've been sponsoring her for a while, and she—I mean, she, she doesn't even speak English, and we just kind of happened upon her because we were working with Brandon Marino, another one of your fellow champions. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and he, she kind of was like in the package, and. Um, so we'd like to see her make her debut and win. You know, that could be something good for us in the future. We're trying to collect collect champions over here. Nice. Because we're trying to promote, you know, a level of um just badassness. Like everyone we work with, we want to be badass motherfuckers, BMFs. <laughs> and I don't know, it just it goes along with the brand and and uh that's kind of it's a selling point because <laughs> we also, we also sponsor like comedians and um, like podcasters, but people like that are at the top of their field and their profession. Essentially champions of what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And well, how did, so how did you get started fighting at the, like the beginning when you were. Uh, I had been in the Marine Corps and I was constantly that person where you saw that was just trying to find new workouts and looking into all the different diets yeah. and just wanting to push myself to new levels. Um, and then when it came to the McMet program, I was that person that was like, yeah, the body hardening, yeah, let's do body hardening. Let's do all this crazy stuff. And, and yeah, I'm watching fight videos. Let me try and figure out how to fight and do this BJ Penn book. Um, and there were a few people I worked with. There was an officer in particular who was like, hey, my kids do jujitsu. I really think that you should get into MMA. I'm like, all right, I don't really know MMA. And he's like, how do you not know MMA? You grew up in Japan. I'm like, I know. It's, I was a uh, social butterfly when it comes to sports. Like, I do this sport for a little bit, then I do this one, and then I want to be a scientist. I'm all over the place. Um, and he just kept pushing. He's like, just check out MMA. The first fight I watched, I don't even remember who it was, but they got split in the forehead and there was blood everywhere. And then the guy that won his post-fight post interview was just, you could tell he was uneducated and um, he wasn't very articulate. He was doing a lot of shit talking. I was like, this is, I don't like this. I'm used to like team sports and sportsmanship. I was right. on a team every year. We won the sportsmanship award. Like this is not what I'm used to. Right. Um, but it had my curiosity. So I looked into it more and I had a few other people like, no, he's absolutely right. You should get into MMA. I don't know, guys. I don't think it's for me. That's not, not my deal. But I saw the BJ Penn book. I started reading up, and I really liked the workouts. I like what he said about the diet. Got into that. And I was like, okay, I'm a little bit more curious. I got started watching fights again. And I was like, okay, wait, this is different. And I saw people like Forrest Griffin, who's college educated, who has like a goofy side, but he's also articulate. And he's super respectful of the other fighters. And then people like Roger Huerta, who had a bachelor's degree. And I'm seeing all these people I'm like, wait, this isn't, these aren't street thugs just thrown in there for entertainment. Like these are people with real lives, educated people, they're teachers, they're- Rich Franklin. <laughs> exactly, yeah. they're in all yeah. walks of life. Um, and then I started seeing women fight and I saw Chris Cyborg. And I was mm -hmm. like, I think I could, I think I could beat Chris Cyborg, not having mm -hmm. any understanding of like the differences in weight divisions conceptually over my head. <laughs> uh, but it's just like that little secret that I kept like, okay, I'm going to get into MMA and I'm going to be the person that dethrones Chris Cyborg. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. <laughs> cool. That's uh, cool. How old are you? 
I was a month before my 26th birthday is when I started oh. training. Yeah. Okay. Cause I joined the army like a month before my 26th birthday. And I, I so just coined, I was like I had a little later in life. I had gone through like corporate jobs and regular kind of like um, handyman jobs and stuff. And I hit my peak with my education. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I, I had almost a bachelor's degree you know, I'd gone to college, but I never finished. And saying mm-hmm. without having a degree, moving up in, I was doing human resources and okay. pay, yeah. payroll. And, and so in order to be like a director or some kind of thing of human resources manager, even you had to have a degree, which I didn't have. And it was in, uh, it was, I was thinking like how, what year you joined, but I, it was 2006 for me. And it okay. was, uh, <clears throat> like in the middle of the Iraq war and like Fallujah and triangle and all that. And so they Mm -hmm. were taking, taking anyone that had a heartbeat. (laughs) And uh, so I, cause I had, I had, I also had a little bit of a checkered past reason I didn't finish college is cause I was partying too much and like kind of playing with trying to be like Scarface and like a, a (laughs) like some kind of gangster or whatever, which, didn't work out well for me, which is uh, like, it ended quick. Like my reign trying to be like a drug kingpin lasted like six months and I got arrested and got kicked out of school. And then that's when I kind of went and did like handyman jobs and I did the human resources stuff. And I kind of like worked my way back up into a respectable level of a citizen. And then, uh, (laughs) but then I hit my peak because then I was kicking ass. Like I was doing really good at my jobs. I always try like, tried really hard with everything I did. And when I was in high school or even like before that, I wanted to be in the NBA. And I, so I put everything like every day, all day, every day, kind of like I would, what I would assume a trainer, a fighter would, how a fighter would train. You have to be like obsessed. And um, I put all my effort in that. And then ultimately injuries and being short, slow, white, whatever (laughs) didn't, I, I ended up, not going um i I didn't even make the jv basketball team (laughs) i didn't make varsity i didn't make jv but i did make freshman and sophomore but i really loved it um the point is i i used that work ethic in every career since then you know up till now people i i kind of thought that i wasted time playing basketball because like i played basketball for like six years when I could have been studying the piano or something. <laughs> and, but it didn't go to waste because that, yeah. that work ethic, I trained my body or whatever. It became like a habit to work hard and try my hardest. And yeah. I had to try my hardest because I was, I was very average if in, in athleticism. So just to be decent, I had to work, you know, like as hard as I possibly could. Do you have any, kind of connection with that or are you just real physically gifted um the same thing with the work ethic i mean that was definitely something that uh i mean the school that i went to my graduating class i think maybe had 20 people it was a really teeny tiny school was this and in japan this is in or, japan oh yeah, yeah. I, I read that and your dad was like in the military or something and mm-hmm. so that's and you were raised in okinawa or something yep exactly yeah that's pretty cool like karate kid but okay continue <laughs> but mine is doing all the fun cool stuff um 
Blitz always was used to being like on a team where the people there at one point they changed it and they said like, Hey, if you play on the soccer team, then you get credit towards PE class. And so all the girls are like, well, I don't want to do like normal PE and have to go in the locker rooms and do this and pull up. So yeah, I'll do that instead. Right. And so here I am, I'm there to play soccer, to play soccer and to be the best that I can. But on a team, everybody's just like, I'm just doing this for the grade. Like it's just uh-huh. a, so it was constantly like, okay, well, I can't carry the whole team. Um, but that's also what I was trying to do. Like, we're always the tiniest people, the slowest people. It was just a tiny, like, going against other teams where they have the intent of going to college for this and doing these other things. And so I ended up trying to just carry the entire team. Like, I would go, I was playing goalie, and I'd run up and try and score on the goal and then run back and defend the goal. Wow. And then all over the field doing everything possible. Um and I mean, that's kind of honestly one of the things that helped drive me into MMA is because having all that lack of success with both um, soccer and with volleyball, I realized like I can't do team sports anymore and give 110% effort and everybody else on teams giving 10 and we don't succeed. It was just killing my ego. It was killing my love of sports. And the same thing happened to volleyball. Like we're all the, sh- I was the tallest person on the team and I am by no means tall. The only thing I have is I can jump super high and I don't mind if the ball hits my face. Right. So it's like jump and it's like, sometimes it defends that way, whatever. I don't know anything about volleyball. Nice. Um, and again, it's just trying to be more than what I was and give everything I had in an effort just to, to hope that the team did better than another sportsmanship, which is all we seem to get. What, how did, how did you, like, what did you do from 18 to 26? So I actually joined at 20. I, I started oh, okay, fighting okay. at 26. Uh, oh, so from 18 to 20, I tried to do the college thing. I knew uh, my family couldn't afford for us to, for me to go to college. I knew that if it was something I was going to pursue, I had to do it on my own. Uh, my mom, I'd been saying like, I want to, you know what? I want to join the military and I want to play sports. I heard you can, if you join the military, you can play sports in the military. That's so cool. I'm like, is, yeah, you get paid. Yeah. I, that was kind of part of what I was thinking too. Cause they, you could <laughs> play basketball in the army at least. And I, I just wanted to play. I didn't have to like be a professional, but just being a part yeah. of the sport or, you know, was, was kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I was like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, like in order to be a pro in soccer, I probably have to have been living in the United States, not there. Uh, I have to go to college. We can't afford for me to go to college. So I guess I'm going to join the military. And there was uh, the community colleges on base. I worked for them. And if you worked for the community college, you got so many uh, credits a semester that were free from the college. Okay. And so that's what I was doing. I was like, okay, well, I'll do this. And then eventually realized like, hey, school's really not for me. And <laughs> there's no way that I'm going to be able to keep up with this. It turns out I hate college just as much as I hated all the other schooling. I'm not going to be able to do this. So my goal was just to get 15 credits. So that way, when I joined the Marine Corps, I could at least go up in rank. What did you start as? A PFC. Me too. PFC, <laughs> private first class. Because <laughs> I had some college also. You don't want to start at the very bottom. Yep. What, uh, <clears throat> what rank did you make it, make it to? Uh, E5, a sergeant. Me too. Nice. I, I have my I'll sh- my sergeant rank. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I was a corporal. I went from PFC to specialist. It's different in the Army a little bit. Yeah. A little, yeah and then uh, corporal, which is a lateral kind of, but you're still a non-commissioned officer. And then mm-hmm. I made my sergeant. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because you're just, I mean, you're not an officer, but you're not a private. You're a Sergeant yeah. something. I thought a sergeant was pretty cool. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I was hoping, I was like this close to being a staff surgeon, and yeah. I really wanted, that would have been like the the icing on the cake just for that that whole adventure and that whole chapter. Um, and I extended my contract just so I could go out to Iraq one more time, help support my wow. unit was short-staffed. And then uh -huh. I liked going to Iraq. Like, the experience for so many people was such, it was stressful. They're away from their family, away from all their friends, but all my friends were in the Marine Corps, and my family already lives on the other side of the country that I very rarely saw anyway. So I'm like, yeah, I've already done this adventure of leaving my home, so this is not a big deal for me. It's just another another experience. So I was like, yeah, I'll go out one more time, help you guys out. I don't mind. So and you did two? Right there, right there. I did three tours. Oh, three. What were you saying <laughs> before I cut you off? You're right there. Oh, just, the hopes is that I would like get staff stars and right for you out there. Oh. Like, well, if, if you re-enlist... Then we can definitely put in that paper. Go like, ah, it'd have been so cool. Uh, yeah, they they try to tempt you with the reenlistment stuff. Um, how many, um, how many years did you do? And then in the Marine, I did ended up doing almost five and a half years. Wow, it's so weird. I did six years. It's very similar. <laughs> um, okay, and I did two tours, and they were trying to send actually, and I so I re-signed in Iraq. For the extra, because I, I, I just did four years. I was just doing four years, and then I resigned in Iraq, and then um, I picked Colorado as a duty station. I could have got Hawaii or Colorado, <laughs> and there's some reasoning behind why I picked Colorado. But uh, pick Colorado, and then I so I got a new duty station, and this was like three months after we got back from Iraq, and then in my new duty station, it was a uh, Fourth ID, Fourth Infantry Division here, and. You're like we're going back and i was just like i hold on i just got back and like i just got back and i just moved here and we're going back and then um i ended up not going back because i ended up getting out and i guess kind of similar you ended up getting getting out but like they were trying to we were going we were going to go to afghanistan this time and our sergeant major we were in training because we I was training. We were going. We were in the field training, doing training exercises. And they're like, okay, so this time when we go back, we're not wearing protect the, the protective ballistic vests because we want them to trust us. And and if we're wearing vests, then they want they think we don't trust them. And wow. it was a weird thing. It was a it was a pretty big deterrent. And I don't. I never really befriended anyone at the, my new unit. I was kind of we'll say going downhill I, I did have like a bit of a you dropped a, your pack a yeah. slide <laughs> so and i ended up getting out and thankfully so because i was able to like create sheath and um and and i had had and i had the plan like that was part of it so i had the idea in iraq on my second tour and but I, actually i was it was kind of a plan it was like a iffy plan i was gonna but i was i was like i was liking the, uh, my army i was loving it i that's actually where I kind of grew into myself and I found out what I was capable of. And I, I won, you know, you had a basic training and there's a PT test against everyone. And I won, I beat everyone, which was really cool. Nice. Like the whole battalion. So I won. It's really impressive. I was, it was a quartermaster uh, company. So it wasn't like infantry, but it was still, I was, I liked it. You know, you test yourself amongst your peers and, I really like that's where I kind of started to excel and I went to all these different training leadership courses and air assault school and different Super cool. you know, it was awesome it was so cool like I really think almost everyone should have to go through the military 
I agree. Yeah. I, I know that's, that's like super taboo and right. And people are totally opposed to it. But if you look at other countries, their willingness to go to war and to send off everybody thinking them solely as a number, other people aren't doing that. And it's not because they're weak. It's not because any, they just, no, we've, we've had our, 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 all of our people serve at minimum two years. Yeah. They've all experienced it. They're not as willing to just be like, yeah, just kill them off. It's just, it's only a hundred people, a thousand people. No, you start to understand those are families' lives that are touched exactly. because of that. And so yeah. other countries are just, well, look at Israel. Everybody has to do two years. So they have an appreciation and a respect for the military because every single one of their citizens have done it. Yeah. And you can't like, and so I guess in America, it's like less than 1%. So most people are super detached and have, yeah. and they're like, yeah, send them. Let's go, go, go save Ukraine. What the, what are you doing? Over? For. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not the world police. And I've been there and I've, and I like, <clears throat> I talk about, you know, Iraq and sometimes um, I was full board. I was all like full. I was in, they got weapons of mass destruction. I, I'm falling for the whole, whatever story they're selling. And, um, yeah. and then you get there and, and you meet the people and, you know, you see like a lot of casualties. I saw I saw more casualties than anyone should ever see, ever. And um, like, it's just, is it worth it? Is it? I don't know. Is it worth it? If for if it's if it's for the oil, I get it. You know, get the but. But then advertise it as such. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Don't fucking sell me this bullshit. <laughs> so now I don't believe anything they say. Honestly, yeah. like. Yeah, especially just looking at the news. So, like, the news depicted something. And I remember <clears throat> my mom's side of the family is from New York City. So, they're firefighters, they're police officers. They were there during 9 11. Uh, my grandmother, who worked at one of the towers that went down, she worked right in that tower. Wow. So, all of her family was connected in some way and trying to serve to, to walk through all the shambles of what had happened. Um, and so, for us, it had a special connection. And just knowing, like, holy crap, my uncle. Is, is there right now having to save these people and work through these ashes. My grandmother was in that tower, but wow. she retired. But had she not, like she didn't want to retire, had she decided not to, she very well would have been working that day just like she always was before. <clears throat> and then, oh, my cousin, he's a police officer working in that, in the through all the rubbish as well. Um, so for us, it had a connection. But when they showed what Iraq was and everything that was being done, it got everybody enthusiastic about wanting to participate and defend our nation mm-hmm. and to save our people. But then you get there, and I'm like, this is <sighs> what the news looked like. Like, first of all, there's green. Nobody was showing green. There's just sand and desert and all this. Right. And, and having them come up to us, and one of the things we were told is we're there to win hearts and minds. That was our mission. Because you're going out, you're there to win hearts and minds, trying to win over the people. You want their faith in us to trust us. Yeah. And we go out there, all they kept doing was begging us, like, please just go away. Like, we want to live our own lives. If this is what we want to do and we want to hurt each other, let us go back to that. It was better before you guys came here. Okay. And then watching these homes, I'm like, you built your home out of the rubble of the things that we blew up. Like they were 50 cal rounds was a holder for somebody's flowers. Whoa. And some of the panels, like you see, it says U S military, U S whatever on it is things that we had shot at them that they used to rebuild their home because their home was just crumbles. And yeah. I'm like, this, this isn't what we're shown. This isn't what we're fed in the news or anything else. We're told something different. And this is not what we're told about. 
And they had absolutely nothing to do with September 11th. <laughs> we, it was like, I don't know what I was young and I, 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 it's like, what were you thinking? Like that just went over my head. Like they're all yep. brown people or whatever. Like they're all the same. <laughs> they all live in the desert and they're all in on it. You know, they're all in on it together. Exactly. It's everybody. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't everyone. And I mean, we had, I had to give like, I had to turn over a dead kid to his mom, you know, and um, they're in there, you know, on, in a fucking like stretcher where you hand it, you hand it to them like on a stretcher and they take the stretcher and they have to like walk there or put it, put a like someone, there was kids and adults and mostly men. I don't remember any women actually, which is, I guess, pretty mm-hmm. positive, but um, we would like put a body in a taxi and then they took and but and then sometimes the families would come to the gate and they'd be like, Are, you know, so, so-and-so's missing. Can you help whatever? And we'd have a, like this book of pictures of faces yeah. of all the casualties we had on base. And they would look through the book and then you'd turn, turn, turn ah, and start screaming. Cause I would see, you know, their loved one and, you know, and 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 again, it's like they had nothing to do with while we were there, why we were were there, and so um, even though the army was a really good experience for me overall, I like the training, <laughs> the training, and you That's know, what and I love the, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was so fun, like the obstacle courses and the land nav and the yep. shooting and yeah, you know, yeah, well, uh, so. I worked for as an electrician on helicopters and they call that the blue side, right? It's kind of like the safer side and you have your green side, which is all your, your infantry, your recon, your counterintelligence Marines, things like that. When I signed up based on my ASVAB score, like you can do whatever MOS you want. Cool. Recon. You're a woman. All right. Counterintelligence. You can't like, fuck man. All right. Uh, What what, the infantry? Like just let me do infantry. uh Like you can't have a woman. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is great. This is what I said. I wanted to be a Marines Marine. Right. So like boot camp and everything. I'm like, I love training. You have people crying. You have people yeah. peeing themselves. People like through the night, like shivering and crying. And then like, I miss my mom. Like, exactly. This is what I signed up for. This is exactly. awesome. What are you talking about? Like, We're the same. <laughs> yeah. Cause and I had, so- I had these big dudes, these big fucking dudes crying because the fucking sergeant yelled at him and yes. we're in basic training. Did you not see full metal jacket? Like exactly, exactly. Yeah. It was like all the time we're like, I just didn't think it was to be like this one. You didn't think that they were going to throw your stuff and like hit you with the rifle. Like, did we not all, what did you think? It was just going to be like daisies and rainbows coming in here. Like yeah. this is what I signed up for. This looked awesome. My I twisted know. mind thought that this looks really cool. But that's what I signed up for. Um, so it was always surprising to me. But it was it was training. Like every time that we did any new training, I loved it. I was that person who's like said, "Hey, I want to make sure that when I I'm here in the military, I don't ever want to touch feet on the same spot. I want to constantly go to new places, experience new things. Just by doing my job, I want to work out. That's that's what I asked for. So anytime that people are crying, like we just we just got done training, we got to move again. I'm like, this is great. I love this. I live out of a, a seat bag. Cool. I'm totally good with this. This is what I wanted was that experience. Yeah. Every new training where it's like, yeah, we're going to go and belay down from somewhere. I'm like, that's awesome. I'm free to yeah. hide. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. You don't really have too much time to think when they're, because when yeah. they'll put you in a line and you ever, you just go, go, go. Well, <laughs> it's different for different courses. I know in, in uh, when I went to air assault school, there was, 
this one line where it's just like go 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 and we were all sliding down the yeah. um the fast rope or whatever and mm-hmm. um the belay yeah belay uh, like leaning over the edge and, yep. and i guess that's belaying down now it was freaky but no one ever really and it, when i was there no one like got hurt they have measures to kind of yeah make sure that doesn't happen too much <laughs> anyways um so military basic training um because i when i joined i wanted to be like i don't even like saying my mos that much because it was yeah it wasn't like that cool i wanted to be like special forces or special ops or infantry and and i'm i'm in like i guess what you called the blue side you know it's like the safety zone and and yeah they threw we had we got like mortared and you know, I was in uh, Balad with the first tour, oh, yep. and they called it Mortaritaville, and and it was. They yeah. were every every night almost. Yeah. They would you know lob shit over, and the C Rams would come up and shoot them yep. out, and we'd have to go and get under our bunker. Which I'm like, if the fucking shell hit the bunker, we'd be dead. Yeah, so we didn't even go that far. Eventually, it got to the point where we got so. I mean, one like mortars went through the aircraft. Like I can remember one of the times it was so many close calls on Iraq. Uh, for one, my third tour is when I signed up, and I was like, "Hey, I have an opportunity to do line S program. I get to go outside with a wire and essentially do the job I always wanted to do." Yes, finally, which is another reason I extended in the hopes of like doing that. Um, but we got like blown up on the base so many times it was almost like we're at the top of a plateau so they know you're right there you can't miss it so it's Uh just constant incoming all the time and all i knew was that i had a master sergeant who had never deployed as a master sergeant wow so yeah here you have this guy who's always managed to like skate around be in the schoolhouse and be a recruiter and drill do all these things so he never deployed i'm on my second deployment and he's like, you can't be late. And you were going to do uniform inspection. I'm like, uniform inspections? We don't have stuff to clean our uniform. What do you mean? You Nobody brought iron? What are you talking you about? You don't do dude? that in, in, in theater. You do that in garrison. Psycho. Exactly. And so here I am. I'm like, I'm just worried about getting to work. So it's just like all these explosions next to me. I'm like, I can't be late for work. I can't be late. I'm going to be in so much trouble. And that was like more concerning. But eventually I, I got to the mindset that there's no point in laying down. Like if you're meant to get blown up, you're going to get blown up. If it's your time, it's your time. You can try and dodge it and it still happens. I know people that did. Um, And close calls were, for whatever reason, it just happened to be my time. Like, like, hey, Carmouche, we need you to go do a supply run. So the aircraft that I had been scheduled to work on and was normally working on, one of the explosions went through the window, out the other window. And just Whoa. and that's what the job I was supposed to be doing. So one of the guys is there and he's like, yeah, I almost got blown up today doing your job. I'm like, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't wow. ask for that. Yeah. And Aaron, like we test aircraft. I was normally out there every day testing the aircraft. That was my job. So I'm just standing there. And it's when we were having a changeover and the new unit coming in, they're like, hey, well, I'll go out there. Why don't you, why don't you go get some water and then meet me out? I'm like, okay, cool. So I get water, boom explodes exactly where i stood wow. for the whole mountain rack and it was constantly stuff like that we're like close calls so it was like i mean if i'm supposed to get blown up it's supposed to happen but for whatever reason i was meant to keep going on because all those close calls and didn't happen there's no reason to be laying down if i'm going to get blown up it's meant to be <laughs> meant to be and i'm going to get blown up and obviously i'm not so i'll just keep on walking to work and doing my thing yeah we stopped i stopped getting up out of bed um when when the sirens go went off because I was just like if it's gonna hit it's gonna hit, so I was just and I was thinking just now, the title could be it might be cheesy but like from 
combat in theater to combat in the cage. I yeah. just thought that could be <laughs> yeah, the title hung for up this. one thing just to go into to another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But you have that type of mentality. You are a fighter, you know? And mm-hmm. it seems like you always kind of have been. Um, so, and I, I did want to, we could go on with the military stuff, but because <laughs> uh, I could go on all day. That's really cool. Um, but like back to like MMA, I guess. And with you, um, you're there's a friend I was reading in the, like the headlines or whatever, and a friend of yours wants to fight you or something. Not, yeah. <laughs> what, tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, Alima and I have known each other since the first day she stepped into the gym. I was working at the gym, uh, running the desk. And so I do the sales, I take phone calls, clean everything up, do all that. And she came in, I'm the one that signed her up to start with MMA. Um, At that time, she wasn't really serious about it. It was kind of more she just wanted to lose weight for college because she put on like the the college 20 or 60, I want to say it was. (laughs) Uh, And she was just looking to lose weight and heard about MMA and it seemed like a good workout. but she had wrestled growing up. And so for her, like you see any wrestler where they may start off as like, I'm just going to test this out. They never last long. They have a drive that's so unique and different from other people. Oh yeah. So I was taking advantage of that. Like, Hey, you're a wrestler and we don't have a lot of female wrestlers in here. So I'm going to, I'm going to need that help. Um, And then it was just a lot of encouragement. It was just an environment where most of the people in the gym are competitors. Um, there's certainly family and there's other people, but a lot of the the faces you see are competitors. So she eventually decided to get into that. We were main training partners for years until the last few years. I was just not really getting pushed the way I needed to. Mm-hmm. So I found a different gym, good good set of coaches, which is why I've been on that win streak with Bellator, just different people pushing me. And Alima and I've talked about, it. I mean, we were both purple belts because uh, she only started a few years after me. But mm-hmm. we were both purple belts competing in a tournament side by side. We have um, been, it's just in like different opportunities where there's potential where we're like, hey, we're probably going to face each other. And our coach is like, hey, if you guys go up in this tournament together, just let them know your teammates and call it. And that's it. And we're like, hmm. hmm. <laughs> and then they go away and we're like, we're not going to do that, right? Like, we're going to do it harder than anybody else going against each other. And it was always that understanding where like our coaches say one thing, yeah, we're going to do something else. Like we're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, And then we talked and she eventually, I had been waiting for years for the 125 division to open up in the UFC. And it finally did. So I finally moved down a weight class. She had been like, I'm not going to be a 135er. I'm going to be a 125er. Mm. But we were always in different weight classes. So it was never really that much of a concern. And, uh, you know, we both said like, Hey, wouldn't it be crazy if one of us either goes up a weight class or down a weight class and eventually has to compete against each other. And then Bellator half, and then Bellator doesn't have a 135 division. So it was like, hey, there's a good chance you and I probably can compete against each other. And she had said years ago that if she ever was going to lose her belt, she wanted it to be to uh, one of her friends, so either to Juliana Miller or to myself. And that's in her mind where she saw it. And then as Juliana went a different path, and I went into Bellator, she's like, hey, at some point we're going to have to face each other, and it it looks like that's going to happen. So now I think... With uh, having been on multiple losses and now just getting a win, I think she's hoping to kind of end out her career with going against somebody who we've been friends, we've been training partners for years. We know that we'll go in there and throw as hard as we can, put on an uh, entertaining match. And so I think that's what she's looking for to kind of close out her career. 
Yeah, okay. All right. You can finish her off and send her on her way. <laughs> uh, I'm liking, I mean, I'm liking what Bellator is doing. Um, at least I was looking at this, uh, up the next card and this Carlisle versus AJ. What's that dude's name? Yes. McKee. Yeah. 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 And we actually sponsored him. I don't know. I should. And that's okay. But anyways, AJ McKee, <laughs> that's it. I remember Carlisle in the UFC and he had, he was like, he had this potential. I thought he was going to be like great. And I don't know exactly what happened. He just, he had a string of losses and got <laughs> cut, but he, um, I, I would I would like to see that fight, so I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah, I think it, that one's in in Long Beach. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, where and where are you at? Are you in San Diego? I'm in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you? I don't want to get back into the Marine stuff. But were you in Pendleton? I was in Pendleton. Yeah. Okay. And I because <laughs> I, I, I lived in. Yeah. Say that again. Fell in love with California and then stayed. Yeah, well, it's expensive. I lived in Orange County. I lived in like Huntington Beach and kind of test like whatever yeah. Orange County, and um, so I'm familiar with Pendleton and the Marines and South Orange OC. Oh, anyways, um, it's just so it's it got so expensive and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's bananas. But San Diego, that's the, that's where I would want to be. I think it's yeah. like not San Francisco and the crazies. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's a uh, you have it's the um, the beach lifestyle that kind of incorporates into it. Makes people a little bit more chill and laid back from that fast, trendy things that go on. <laughs> yeah. No. I like I like South SoCal as we would call it SoCal. Um, what? So are you pay? You clearly pay attention to the UFC still. Did you, you saw the uh, the. Uh, Pena versus um, Lioness rematch. Yeah, I, did, I when I saw the first fight, I like Pena to me. I love. I, I like. I hated her, and then I kind of started liking her. She talks this shit, and it's like you're talking out of your ass. You really can't back up what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but I kind of like it, I guess. And then she, she ended up like talking herself into the championship and then winning. So I was yeah. kind of kind of going for her but i knew that uh nunez it was a fluke it was and like she quit she quit she didn't even get yeah. choked on the first fight oh uh, i mean that was a neck crank i've done that to okay, people. okay. That's what, it was a neck crank and if it's done correctly the way it looked is it your chin by pushing it down also chokes you out okay okay yeah. all right but, so I then. Mean, one of the things i said going into that fight is that i was worried on the sake of nunez just because I know that she had had COVID. She got sick and wasn't fully recovered, both from COVID and having getting the flu, and had a knee injury. So I was like, man, if Pena shows up and if if Nunez, if all of this stuff is still ailing her, I don't. I'm worried about Nunez. And then went out there. I'm like, I'm telling you, if Nunez comes back even ten percent better than who she was in that fight, Pena doesn't stand a chance. It was simply all these circumstances because Nunez isn't a fighter to go out there and say, hey, I'm not healed from COVID. I'm right. injured. I lost this fight because that she just went like, I'll go back and I'll fix it. And we just didn't tell anybody the reasons when there were legitimate reasons why she lost that fight. It wasn't just to give up. It wasn't just weakness. It wasn't Pena got the best of her. It was, Hey, when your lungs, when you can't like you gas out after a minute and you're just trying yeah. to fight, like that's a real thing. Um, so I knew going in. So I was like that the moment I saw her smile, I'm like, Oh, Nunez is fine. <laughs> Pena's screwed. I know uh, that. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I gained a lot of respect 
from for Nunez. I for whatever reason I was I was just like she's too big. She's too like it's like she's like the John Jones kind of type thing where I kind of it's like you're too much better than him. It's not even it's almost not fun for me to watch you fight because you just dominate too much. I like yep. a good fight, yeah. you know. So I was annoyed, but then the fact that she lost and then came back and win won. Um, I think she probably gained a lot of fans that way. There's something yeah, definitely humanizing about that, you know. Yeah, it's like a, well, I mean, in two, when I think more and more stuff comes out with people finding out what the circumstances were surrounding mm-hmm. her loss, loss, mm-hmm. and her just being the champion that she is, mm-hmm. and just being quiet about it, and just going yeah. through <clears throat> and toughing things out. I think that gives her a lot more credibility, and people respect her. Yeah, she but, didn't make a bunch of excuses. Yeah. Yeah. And the point is she should talk Pena at no point was she disrespectful towards her. You know, she lost, she came back, she won and and did so in my mind, the way a champion would. So that should definitely win over a lot of people. And I, I guess to credit to Pena, she didn't go, she didn't get finished. I don't nope. you know. Yeah. You know, she's tough. <laughs> so that's, I, I'll give her credit. And another thing is my mom's maiden name is Pena. And so so that's like kind of like my, my connection to Pena, but she was just annoying at, and, but anyway, some like Patty, for whatever reason, sorry, Patty, Patty Pimlet, he annoys me. I don't know why everyone loves him. And I'm like, yeah. this dude is something. And I liked McGregor. So I'm, I like the craze. I like like the Colby's and the McGregor's and the shit talkers, but, um, there's just there's some I don't know. There's something weird that's not quite sitting right with me with him. But a lot of times, it, like I'll come around to fighters. You just have to kind of let warm them be themselves. Yeah, <laughs> warm up a little bit. Yeah. Who Who are you? Who like you're still a fan? You know. Who do you yeah. like to watch? Who's your favorite? Um, I mean, Nunez. I do like to watch just because I've never seen disrespect on her part. And to me, mm-hmm. that that's more important. I know that. As a fan, you want to be like invested in the fighters, whether yeah. it's that you hate them and you want to see them lose, or you love them and you want to see them win. Right? You have to have that emotional connection. But as a practitioner, I'm always looking at the people that carry themselves and don't go out there and have to trash talk anything and build themselves up and do any of that. They just go out there and perform and let their actions speak for them. And so for me, yeah. it's, it's those fighters are the ones that I have the most respect for and I look forward to. Um, but also the ones that that push the tempo. And, uh, like you just evolution. I mean, I'd say three things that are, that I love watching is the fighters that push the tempo and look as though their cardio is the best in the entire world and they're unstoppable, Uh, whether they win or lose just that, that cardio, the ones that go out there and just are the silent fighters, they go out there and they just do work. And it's not about doing anything else other than Mm -hmm. doing that. Um, and then the ones that constantly evolve where you see that each fight, they've added new things to their game and they can actually represent them that fight. That to me is phenomenal because you yeah. see people for years try and learn new things and it just never quite clicks into place when it comes time to perform in front of people. Yeah. Um, you got to keep it's that the sport it's like evolving <laughs> and the young up and comers, they're going to like surpass you if you don't keep progressing. Yeah, exactly. yourself. Um, how do you stay? Like, can you tell us your like maybe like morning routine and kind of like what you're, anything special you do that makes you be the best? Um, I think it's like I said, that constant want for growth and evolution. Mm-hmm. It's understanding in the sport that the moment that I think that I know everything, I should probably retire. should probably be okay. done. 
Yeah. Right? I just think that there's so many different pieces to the game of MMA. And I maybe kind of have a grasp of this one and maybe a little bit of this one, but there's 12 other pieces on the board that I don't know anything about. And I still have to learn. Yeah. Uh, and I don't care about this sport. Uh, but I mean, my morning routine, I, I get up, I try and like, you know, like you hear your, uh, Huberman talk about getting out there and exposing yourself to light. So getting out there and having some light time, I shock my body doing the ice bath first thing in the morning. But oh, the mental okay. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you getting in on Instagram. Um, can, uh, sorry, uh, you do it every day because I was doing it and then I kind of stopped a couple months ago. Yeah, and and so I've been trying to do it every morning. I just feel like it's like a, a natural antidepressant, right? Instead of having to inundate your body's medication, I can just go dump myself in the ice bath. I get out there. There's a moment where I'm like, this is horrible. I hate yeah. doing this. And then I get out. I'm like, no, I felt really good. I want to go back in. And my brain's like, there's something wrong with you. You want to go yeah. back in. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm not, I grew up on a tropical island. Like, I don't do cold water. There's nothing. I go to the ocean. And they're like, it's fine. Just put on a wetsuit. Just pee in the wetsuit. Be warm. I'm like, there's nothing about peeing in the wetsuit to get warm that sounds appealing to me. Like, then I don't I've want it. I'm not yeah. good. Um, so I've done that. Uh, I do that in the morning just for, so I said, like, to get my metabolism going, get my, my set up. I feel like it's an energy boost initially. So instead of like taking a few shots of espresso, I, I jump in the ice bath and I feel like I'm ready to hit the day. And it kind of puts everything in a, in a good focus that I need to. Yeah, you and said something about me. clarity. You were you, I cut you off, and you were talking about like the clarity you feel afterwards. Yeah, yeah, it definitely puts things in a different perspective. One, just because you, it shuts out everything around you, all the stresses that you have going on, you have to focus on your breathing and just getting through the moment and telling yourself it doesn't hurt that much. You're fine. It's not that cold. You're yeah. not gonna die. It'll be okay. And so when you do that every day, it kind of like like anything puts things in a different light. And so yeah. I feel like that just helps me mentally for the day. I have like my routine with drinking 30 ounces of water when I first wake up with apple cider vinegar, local hunt. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I had to take a break there for a second. I, yeah. Anyway. I knew I did my 30 ounces. I was like, I'm going to get that done earlier than usual because otherwise I'm going to be leaving to pee every two minutes. I messed up. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I woke up a little bit late. Um, the, do you have one of those like, perpetually cooling ice baths or is it yeah yeah just uh last month i want to say last month i finally got one so prior to that i was doing just the regular ice bath and i was just trying to dump ice in it yeah. um and we were doing it when i'm in fight camp i try and do it every day when i'm outside of fight camp i do it once on sundays after i run stairs for about 10 minutes because if i don't do that i'm sore from yeah. sunday to friday of the following week and i can't walk and then saturday i start to feel my legs again and i'm back to running again on sunday so i was just doing it for uh just the recovery i mean my legs would be like rocks and after i do the ice bath i feel completely fine and i can right. go run anything i want to it's anti-inflammatory um, yeah yeah and so i was trying to in the mornings at least jump into the water because it would be cooler and just see but the investment to constantly buy ice bags, because yeah. I mean, you're supposed to do so many pounds of ice, I think like a hundred pounds of ice or something like that. So I was getting multiple of this, the 20 pound bags. And by the time you do that, I'm like, okay, so I, I spent $15 and then I also yeah. have to fill up the water. I have to filter. I have to do all this stuff. I'm doing that every day. I did the math. I'm like, it's the same price as me purchasing one of those ice baths, but they're how way much, nicer. How much was, how much about like 5,000 or less or 5,000 or more? more yeah definitely more oh, okay <laughs> i got okay. the really nice one yeah okay because uh, i'm like fuck i have so much shit you know it's like i have yeah. so much stuff i don't want to buy another thing 
But uh, I'm definitely debating that because the convenience, it, it, otherwise, like, because it's a deterrent for me to, okay, I got to go buy ice. I got to go exactly. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Now, yeah, as I'm definitely- saying that, I live in Colorado and for like six months out of the year, all I got to do is go out and break up the ice. There you go. So it's, I'm still debating. Is yours inside? I imagine it's inside. Uh, so no, because well, we don't have to worry about the, it getting cold here. Mine's outside underneath the patio cover. Yeah. And then it'll, yeah. there's a cover that goes on top of it. Yeah. And, no, our so, house like, is so it, tiny that there's no room to put it inside my house, or I definitely would. <laughs> yeah, I forgot you were in California. It's like... Yeah. You can, yeah, things can yeah. be outside. <laughs> yeah, well, and plus it's just houses are... Like, for the, they're smaller because... You know, if you bought the same house in Texas, you'd be living in a mansion, probably. Oh, yeah. You know, exactly. Surprised or whatever. Yep. Um, okay, so you're doing that. That is a huge, that, that is a big, like, it, whatever, game changer. I, I don't like that word that much. Can't, but the, <laughs> uh, it's too cliche, but it is it, like the ice baths are huge. And what do you, what else do you do, like, for mental kind of preparation and stability? Yeah, so I'll also do, like I said, uh, <clears throat> I have like that morning t- routine with with drinking water with apple cider vinegar, with doing a little bit of Celtic salt, local okay. honey, ice bath. Um, and then in the evenings, I try and do the ice bath again, too, just because it, it works for like a natural, it cools my body. And I know that's supposed to be opposite. Like at night, you're supposed to do heat therapy and do the sauna. But okay. it seems like my body never really cools back down from that. And so I do the opposite protocol when I'm supposed to do. I do ice bath first thing in the morning before I kick off doing it, before I eat. Um, then go through, do my tons of workouts. Uh, and then later in the evening, afternoon, when I get home, I'll do the little personal sauna and then the ice bath again before bed. And that oh, usually yeah. helps me sleep well because my body's cold for the whole night and you don't have to jack yeah. up the AC or anything. And yeah. So I've, heard, um, yeah, I've heard it's good for sleep also, which I've had, a, I mean, for me, and I'm assuming it's not necessarily that way for you, but like after the army or whatever, um, I couldn't sleep for like 10 years. Nope. Same for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm getting better though. I've actually, I've been I like just now and I got out in 2011. Okay. And now I'm getting like decent. I still wake up four or five times a night, but that's good compared yeah. to like yeah. 10 or 10 plus times a night. But yeah. Yeah. Just, no, definitely. I'll get up. Definitely at least once a night, maybe a few more times where I wake up, I go back to sleep, but not the way it was before. I was waking up and my adrenaline was through the roof. I was spiked and I was alert multiple times throughout the night, not sleeping well. Now yeah. it's I get up and it's just like, oh, okay, I kind of heard noise, whatever. I'm, I'm okay. It's, I feel safe. It was never the case before. It was like, okay, where's my rifle? I don't feel safe. It's not good. Right. I'm fine now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was a similar thing then. Yeah. I was just like, I had this, uh, some they're always waking you up and shit in the army they're always fucking like hey we gotta go do something I'm like fuck so yeah. and then that kind of carried over i think it wasn't necessarily anything like terribly traumatic i wasn't like seeing dead people or yeah. reliving i didn't i never really relived any you know kind of like events mine was more just like this nervous like my nerves were too whatever engaged and stuff but i'm fine i've been meditating every day twice a day transcendental meditation and that is my biggest improvement i started in december of last year i finally like went and got like training at a Mm -hmm. 
Transcendental Meditation Center and um, it was only one day. It was like less than a day. It was like an hour. And oh wow, really, yeah. And then you do a little bit of stuff on your phone. They have an app, you know. But it was a huge improvement, and I've been just getting like better and better in every aspect of my life nice. from that. So I highly recommend that for anyone out there. But do you med- have you ever done a meditation? Yeah, so that was definitely something new. I'd say that I've done over the past few years, uh, just because I want to say when I, in my youth I did it, and it, I was it was something it was part of my practices. And then I don't know something about the Marine Corps took from my ability to sit still and just have that quiet peace in my head and meditate. Mm-hmm. It's like I just have to go. I have to do something at all times. Right. Um, and then something I've gotten back to, like I started doing vision boards. I do vision boards for every nice. fight game, and so that's part of what I incorporate into Here. the meditation. Let me show you my vision board. Nice. Yeah, Hogan, Hogan there, Elon, Wim Hof at the bottom. Awesome. There's the Jake Paul. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yes, that's something like I set aside a time and and in fight camp, I'm so much better about doing everything I'm supposed to. Like in fight camp, I'm getting acupuncture, I'm getting chiropractic nice. adjustments, I'm getting massages. There's no day where I ever skip the ice bath. I'm doing it twice a day. I don't skip on doing any of the hot treatment. And then when I'm outside of fight camp, it's like, okay, I'll do the ice bath every day. Um, but, eh, well, okay, the sauna isn't quite working. I'm not going to really, you know, it's a matter of convenience. And it's like, ah, do I really want to drive 40 minutes to go see my chiropractor? No, I guess I won't do it. In fight camp, I don't give myself that choice because nice. my body is what provides for my family. So I don't have a choice. I have to do it. Uh, and there are no excuses in fight camp. It's it's a full 12 hour workday trying to keep up with everything. Uh, but outside of fight camp, it's more about like spending more time with my family, spending time with my son, getting to see him do jujitsu. Because I'm in fight camp, I like I live 40 minutes away from everything. Uh huh. My gym is from all of it. So once I'm down there and I'm there in the morning, I'm not home again until the till around his bedtime, if not later. So I don't get to see him do jujitsu. And, uh-huh. and outside of fight camp it's more about being able to focus and be there and spend more time with them and do things differently, which I think helps put things in a different perspective for fight camp. Exactly. Exactly. Like keeping one work mode and then one family fun mode. Yeah. And at least when you're not in fight camp, you take advantage and, and get that full immersion of being a mom and you're, are you, I, he just started school. Yeah. Kindergarten. Uh, first grade. Cool. So he oh, was he was in school, but uh, with all the COVID restrictions, they only had him in school one day a week. Oh, and we've right. been had him all these different school wait lists, just trying to get him there full time, so that my wife can actually have a break and go have a life outside of just homeschooling him. Yeah. Because pre COVID, we talked about like, hey, you know, in this in these opportunities that we have before us, if you wanted to homeschool, would you be wanting to? Do? She's like, I don't want to homeschool. Do you want to homeschool? I'm like, no. I, I got homeschooled for a few years. I don't want to homeschool. No, I don't want to. Like, I should not be sitting there teaching anybody. This is not for me. <laughs> just agreed that we didn't have the skill set to be teachers homeschooling our child. But COVID hit and there were no other choices. So it was being on all these wait lists, hoping and just trying to finally get him to school. The school near us finally opened up for five days a week. And while my wife has done such an awesome job in like bringing his education where he tested in the second grade, California won't let him go into second grade. He has to go for his age appropriate. So he's in first grade, just basically chilling every day at school, having a good time hanging out with friends. He's like, this is super easy. We're like, yeah, it's not supposed to be that easy. It's not normally that easy, I promise. That's but, funny. but he's finally in school. He's loving school and being around friends all day long. 
Well, you're doing a great job. It sounds like you got everything like under control with your <laughs> life. Yeah, I know, right? It's just a juggling act, but you're doing great. We see what you're doing. Congratulations on all of your success. Thank you. Really, I appreciate you working with us, with Sheath, coming here and talking to me. This has been very fun, a little military reminisce. Uh, and just learning more about you i think a lot of people maybe don't know you know as much as they could about what what, what you got going on and so i really appreciate you taking the time here to come and enlighten us thank um, you i appreciate it too yeah well i'm gonna let you go i appreciate you coming <laughs> on um what, you, you don't have a fight coming up yet like no, I've been begging them for a fight. I'm hoping that um, it seems like kind of the schedule they have me fighting on is usually like December. So I'm hoping that I'm right with that in my suspicions and preparing as such. Uh, but right now, no word of a fight, but I'm hoping the end of the year. Well, you can reign as champ in the meantime. All right. You have a great rest of your week. Thank you for coming Thank on. You. This will this will come out on Monday. So okay. uh, just be on the lookout for that we'll 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 tag you up and send it to you and stuff but thank you so much again for thank coming you on. all right good- bye everyone go to sheathunderwear.com <laughs> <laughs> all right you can just bounce and i'm gonna all right thank you uh, thank you liz so much uh, okay that was amazing liz carmouche everyone champion of the world bellator it's you know, I bet if you put her up against uh, Shevchenko, I bet she put up a good fight. I'll tell you that. And Shevchenko, everyone knows, is kind of a beast. But Liz Carmouche will tame the beast. That was an awesome conversation. Thank you, everyone. I'm very honored to be able to interview guests like this. Multiple champions of the world at this point. We've interviewed. Check out the previous podcast. But man... I feel so honored and blessed to have these opportunities and I appreciate all of you coming on here and watching. Um, so keep, t- take care of yourself, learn from these champions, you know, do what they do. Champ shit only baby. Tony Ferguson. All right. We'll see you next week.